each week we gather, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, to worship as one church, united in Christ. And we talked a lot about that last week. Christ is the central feature of our faith. He's the foundation of what we believe, and he's the impetus of our behavior. As Christians, the totality of our lives boils down to just two words, in Christ. That is our identity. When we are in Christ, absolutely everything changes. And that's what the Apostle Paul has been on about since the inception and the onset of this letter that he writes, because he's so focused on our identity being in Christ. And the reason why is because he's lived it. He's seen what happens to his life whenever he is confronted by Christ and he takes up his cross and follows after him. Everything changes, but especially our perspectives. Just think about the shift in perspective that happened for Paul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, persecuting Christians. And then his perspective changed and he became one of them. And he carried on his commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whatever it takes, he was willing to do it. And to teach them all that Jesus had commanded. That's what he was about. That's what he was focused on. Walking in step with the Holy Spirit by grace through that mechanism of faith. It is the greatest and most magnificent truth that changes absolutely everything in our lives. And that's why Paul is so committed to his commission. He's been changed. It's why he endures being beaten, mocked, flogged, shipwrecked, imprisoned, even as he writes this letter, all to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. This is personal for him, because when he met Jesus, everything changed. His perspective, his motivation, his whole outlook on life and death became radiant with hope. In today's text, Paul testifies to the response in our lives that we have that same life-changing experience of being born again. That's the focus. Today he's going to talk about this word, ministry. Ministry is our response to this truth. He's going to focus on basically three things. First, how it's a privilege to be in ministry. Second, how humility lies at the core of it. And third, how we draw from the unsearchable riches of Christ to carry it out. That's basically the sermon for today. It's a reminder for us all to consider how the truth of Christ has changed our lives. Now, if you recall, over the past few weeks, Paul has explained the revelation of two mysteries, a general mystery and a particular mystery. And the general mystery is pretty straightforward, that by Christ's blood, although our condition is that we're dead in sin, we're born again, made alive in him. That is the gospel message. And then there's a particular mystery that he goes on about, that this salvation is available to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, for those who place their faith in Christ. And moreover, the Gentiles don't need to actually become Jews anymore. Both of them have to become something new. They become Christians, united as one in Christ, members of his body, the church, in communion with God and in communion with each other. 
Now, Paul starts out today with this language of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Now, a minister is one who serves in the interest and for the benefit of others. So this is not just clergy. This is for everyone. Again, perspective is so important. Paul clearly saw it as a privilege to be a prisoner of Christ, as we saw last week. And then today, he seems to also see it as a privilege to be a minister of the gospel by God's grace. Now, why a privilege? Well, probably because God chose him to do it. Can there be inner greater privilege out there than being chosen by God? That's a pretty refreshing perspective, I'd say, that Paul provides to us on what it's like to be a member of Christ's church. Now, if only all Christians had that perspective, where they saw it as a privilege to teach truth, a privilege to promote fellowship, a privilege to pray in faith, a privilege to praise and adore God, a privilege to lead others, a privilege to reach the lost, a privilege to make disciples, a privilege to make godly decisions, a privilege to serve others, a privilege to be charitable and generous out of the overflow of a grateful heart, a privilege to build each other up in Christ, a privilege to manage well. If only all Christians had a perspective where they saw it as an immense privilege to put these pillars to work in their everyday, ordinary lives, living out their commission the way Paul did, simply because God chose them to do it. It would change absolutely everything. Interestingly, Malpe notes three common experiences that the disciples all seem to have at some level or another. And so we should also probably expect to experience them when we respond to our commission, just like the disciples did. And they were in constant trouble, completely fearless, and absurdly happy. And that certainly seems to be the perspective from which Paul writes across the entirety of this letter. He's writing from prison, so he's clearly in trouble. But he doesn't convey any fear because God's grace provides courage, like we talked about last week. And you can't help but sense his joy. He's absurdly happy carrying out the privilege of his commission. And if we look across the accounts of other early Christians, especially the martyrs, as they're being burned at the stake or sawed in two, this appears to be a very consistent observation that they're in constant trouble, completely fearless, and absurdly happy. Why? Well, perhaps it's because they saw greatness in their commission and not greatness in themselves. Is that our perspective? Do we see greatness in our commission? Or are we still all about seeking greatness in ourselves? Because that's the main issue that Paul keeps coming back to over and over again throughout this letter he writes to the church in Ephesus. 
that Christians simply need to get over themselves. We're so quick to become more concerned that we are noticed instead of Jesus being noticed in our lives. We must be so very careful to guard against making our lives or our faith about ourselves. It can only be about Jesus. And that's why it's so absolutely vital that we learn to get over ourselves. As a staff, we're constantly checking each other to make sure that we're getting over ourselves. I would encourage everyone to find some accountability in your life, to make sure that when you have those issues, that it isn't really, that you just need to get over yourself. And why? So we can be about the business of the kingdom. What a privilege to serve in the interests and for the benefits of others. By transmitting this good news of the gospel of God's grace to all those in our everyday, ordinary lives, we must see greatness in our commission, not greatness in ourselves. Note two, Paul is intentional to tell us how it is that he's become a minister. He writes, according to the gift of God's grace. You see, we don't become ministers of the gospel on our own. It happens according to the gift of God's grace. Paul is showing us, the church, the origin of all ministerial calling here. From pastors to volunteers, it's all from God. It's not a profession. It's not about setting up programs and events. It's not about entertaining the youth or tending to the elderly. In fact, when we take stock of what ministry has become in most churches, it has very little resemblance to what Paul is on about here. Because we see that Paul has a singular focus in ministry, and that is, of this gospel, I was made a minister. It's all about the gospel, heralding that gospel message of Jesus. Why? Because it is, it is the only thing out there that can shake people out of their state of lethargy and sloth, to check pride, idolatry, gluttony, indolence, and self-righteousness that we're all prone to. You see, Christianity is not about being kind to everyone. It's not about saying, God bless you, when somebody sneezes. It's not about avoiding those uncomfortable topics because you just don't want to create any tension. Ministry is all about coming alongside people as they face the sin in their lives and pointing them to their Savior. We've, we've used this green rag several times over the last year to remind us of how we're to approach ministry. We look over at our brother over here and we say, hey brother, I see you got a smudge on your face. I got him too. I've had him for years. I found this rag. It's fairly helpful, but you got to keep up with it every single day. I got an extra one. You're welcome to it. I'll even come alongside you. Maybe we can help each other work out those smudges in our lives. That's what it means to minister, heralding that gospel message of grace in our everyday, ordinary lives. If you've been born again into a new life in Christ, that's your calling in ministry. Because just like Paul, God lavished his grace on us. We were on that wide, dark path up there that leads to eternal destruction. But God, he convicts us of our sin calls us to repentance, to place our faith in Christ, 
where we're justified, made right before God, born again in an instant into a new life in Christ by that red drop of blood up there. We're sanctified. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and He walks us hand in hand down that well-lighted, narrow path, sanctifying us. That's what that ministry piece is all about. And that's why He calls us then to minister to others. And then, of course, God enables us. How? Well, Paul says, by the working of His power. You see, we simply can't minister without God's power. As ministers, we don't proclaim our words or our truth. We proclaim God's words, His truth, in its totality, not pulling out bits and pieces that fit our position. Because when we do that, we're not ministering by God's power. We're attempting to minister by our own power. And that's why you won't find Cammie or me up here espousing our own views on things. We stick to Scripture. You also won't find us up here trying to entertain you with compelling arguments, with telling you good little jokes or personal stories. Far too many churches are caught up in the entertainment business. They want you to feel good about yourself. And as you know, after me being here for you, you usually don't feel good about yourself when you leave, do you? We promise to keep that up. (laughs) Our focus is on ministry, heralding this gospel message by the working of His power through God's Word, line by line, within the cultural historical context of the text, and consistent across the totality of Scripture. Because it's only by His power that we truly minister. It's our hope and prayer that each week you'll hear from Jesus, not from us. And you should do the same thing when you go out this week and minister in your everyday ordinary life. Just point people to Jesus. Show them His truth, not your version of it. Use His words, not yours. Simply minister by His power. You see, ministry is all about God working through each of us. It's not about us doing things for God. It's so important that we get this distinction. It's perhaps why Christians become so discouraged in ministry, because we like to minister our way. We're pretty certain God will like what we're doing. We like to minister by our strength. But when we do, it never really goes anywhere, does it? It just seems to fizzle out. Pastors, when you go to pastor conferences, they're always looking for what's that next new thing that a church needs to do. But Paul says we're simply to minister by the working of his power, moving at God's pace and in his direction, as his Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of God's amazing grace that we find in Scripture. That's it. There's nothing new. It's the only power out there that can truly change a person at his or her core. It can turn hatred into love, discrimination into inclusion, self-righteous judgment into mercy, and pride into humility. God provides absolutely everything the church needs to minister, to truly change lives by the working of His power. So I wonder, Do you know anything about this in your personal life? Have you experienced God's grace and His power? Has the Holy Spirit ever used Scripture to convict you, touch you so deeply 
move you so profoundly. Because when he does, you won't be able to help yourself. You'll respond to your commission. You'll grab one of those pillars we keep talking about, and you'll herald the gospel message in your everyday, ordinary lives, serving in the interest and for the benefit of others. And it will change absolutely everything. You can also, when you do that, expect to be in near constant trouble. But don't worry. You're not going to be alone. The Holy Spirit is walking hand in hand with you. And by his power, you'll also be completely fearless because you stand in truth. And for those of you who have responded through faith to your commission, and I know many of you have, you can personally attest that although it is very challenging day in and day out, ministry makes you absurdly happy. There's absolutely nothing like it as God works through you to accomplish his master plan that he set forth before the foundation of the world. It's how God designed all of us to glorify him. That is part of our blueprint. And we best glorify him when we are most satisfied, absurdly happy in him. And that's what changes absolutely everything. And then Paul shows us here what lies at the core of it all. And that is this word, humility. He writes, to me though, I am the very least of all the saints. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? He's one of the forefathers of the Christian faith, and he sees himself as the very least of all the saints. That's his perspective. We must never forget the hole that we're all dug out of, dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. We have to guard against this spiritual superiority that we're so prone to. It's so important that we're reminded every single day of who we are apart from Christ, totally depraved. And that is why we confess. That's why we get down on our knees every single day. We're already forgiven. We do it so that we're in a right place. It's so vital that we remain humble before God and humble before each other as we carry out our ministry. I love this Spurgeon quote up here. He says, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. Because the truth is, we are totally depraved in our sin, every single one of us, but especially in the area of pride. And when you look across the totality of Scripture, we don't find God moving through our pride anywhere. We simply cannot be in a state of pride to minister to others. God's power just doesn't work like that. It works through our humility. And we see that in Isaiah, who records God's words, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Is that how we see ourselves? Because that is the perspective that Paul displays. He never ceased to be amazed that his blasphemous and murderous ways could be forgiven. That Pharisee of Pharisees who persecuted Christians presided over them being stoned and imprisoned them. If anyone was undeserving of God's love or forgiveness from his perspective, it was Paul. That's why he writes, he's the least of all the saints. But God extended him grace on that road to Damascus, calling him to minister 
to the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Roman authorities, granting him the privilege to suffer for Christ. And throughout all Paul's letters, he is in constant trouble, completely fearless, and absurdly happy by God's grace. Paul's expression of humility comes from remembering his condition in sin, ever aware of God's grace. This proud Pharisee, an expert in all things religion, by God's grace, was shown his sinful condition, brought to his knees in humility, and given a right estimate of himself, the least of all the saints. His life been radically changed in every single way. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that us? Has our life been radically changed or are we still the same as we were before we met Jesus? And then Paul makes it clear in this last point today, he's showing us what it is that we are to preach. As he writes, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's it. The unsearchable riches of Christ. That is what we're to preach in our ministry, in our everyday, ordinary lives. We aren't to preach about our view of current events, because even the news outlets do that. We aren't to preach about our view of public morality, because even the politicians do that. We aren't to preach about our view of religion or godliness, because even the Jewish faith does that. We aren't even to preach about our view of prayer and fasting, because even the Muslims do that. Paul tells us we're to preach something unique, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's it. Preach Jesus and all that he's done. The good news, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God sent his son to become our sin, beaten, mocked, crucified. God's wrath against sin was so severe that it even killed Jesus. But God raised him from the dead, and by his blood that he shed for us, we've been washed white as snow, made right before God. And so now we get to be in communion with God, not just in heaven, but now. And that's why it changes everything. That's what we're to preach. It's what sets us apart from everything else out there. And we're never going to run out of material on this topic because, as Paul describes, there are unsearchable riches in Christ. Now, the word unsearchable means unfathomable, indescribable, uncontainable. You can't get your head around it. It's so massive. And the word riches speaks to abundance, fullness, completeness, beyond anything we could ever think or imagine. Paul describes it to the church in Corinth as such, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has in store for those who love him. So by that definition, it would be impossible for us to capture something unsearchable in a graphic. We've taken a meager crack at it in the past. You recall this graphic up here, where we first get this taste of God's grace up there in that blue bar on line one. And when we do, we see that there's actually more grace than we even realized. And with each additional experience we have with God's grace in lines two and three, we realize that there's even more grace than we thought there was before. 
to the point where we stand in that bottom line up there and that little blue bar up there and we look back over our lives and we see we cannot even begin to fathom the beginning of God's grace and then we look forward and we can't see the end of it we are simply standing in the midst of an amazing God the riches of Christ are simply unsearchable they're unfathomable they're indescribable they are uncontainable it should blow our minds because that barely even scratches the surface of the magnitude of God. We often look over here at the graphic we have on this side, and we think to ourselves, God spoke all of that into existence because it shows us who God is, and it shows us who we are. You see, the unsearchable riches of Christ are cosmic in nature. There's simply no limit to his riches. It's why the nation Israel wouldn't even pronounce God's name. They called him Yahweh, which means I am who I am. Just think about the billions of people who have drawn from this source for over 2,000 years, and yet it has not been depleted one bit. God's love for us in Christ is inexhaustible. Again, Charles Spurgeon could not have said it any better in the direction that he gave to his students. He said, preach Christ and Christ and Christ and nothing else but Christ that's it that's what we do here at four mile church that is what the pillars are all about we preach Christ by putting these foundational fundamentals into practice in our everyday ordinary lives when that becomes our perspective everything in our entire life will change let's pray Father, we thank you for your unsearchable riches in Christ, for saving us by grace. Lord, none of us are worthy to stand in your presence, and so we bow before you as a church in all humility. Call us deeper into our faith. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to respond in ministry, heralding the gospel truth of Jesus as we respond to our commission to go and make disciples, fully devoted followers of you throughout the tri-state region and beyond. And we ask all this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So for our response time today, we're going to watch a video. And I hope this video helps us to even go further in our appreciation and our understanding of the unsearchable riches of Christ. 